Good morning. It is an honor to preach today. I am so excited to be able to share the word and what God is doing today for you. He has a word for you and we can lay hold of it. Like Pastor Lori said, allow it to fan the flames of our faith. And last week, wasn't it so profound, our time with the Lord? I know those of you watching online, I am sure you experienced that same feeling at the end of our message, of Pastor Jason's message, the presence of the Lord was just here. We didn't want to leave. It was like that tarrying in his presence, waiting for him to just go deeper and deeper. And he was so faithful to do that. And so once again, we want to say, even today, Each Sunday, each moment that we're together, may you pull on what God has for you today. May you not rush those moments when the Lord is speaking. And it was just unpacked so brilliantly as Pastor Jason led us through the pattern and the progression of sin. And it led us to the Last Supper where Jesus washes the feet of Judas. You know, we see injustice all over in our world. All day on the news, we just see the feed of all that is happening with such pain and suffering. We think of Atlanta this past week and our Asian brothers and sisters community and how they're grieving. We grieve with them. This is injustice. This is sin. And that is why last week was so profound because God was dealing with the injustice and sin in our lives that we have to bend the knee and recognize this sin that's within us and repent and allow the work of the Holy Spirit to come deep into our hearts to transform us and to renew us. Well, today we're going to end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. But before we do that, we're going to take a journey back into the Old Testament and we're going to visit Moses And we're going to see what broke Moses' heart, what injustices he was faced with in his day and age, and how he responded to that. So a little snapshot of Moses is that Moses was born, he was a son of a Hebrew slave, a descendant from the tribe of Levi, which was the tribe of priesthood, powerful inheritance. In the midst of a genocide, he is saved. It is a horrific time. Pharaoh passes a decree that all brand new baby, newborn Hebrew boys are to be slaughtered. Could you imagine his mother, Jochebed? Could you imagine his father, the family? And what she had to choose in that moment was instead of having Moses slaughtered, she makes her little basket raft and puts him in the Nile River. Now, I'm a mom. I can't imagine putting my newborn baby into a basket and putting him down the river. But she trusts God. That's a great, I feel like that's a whole message in itself. That's such a courageous act. And she sends her daughter Miriam along the Nile River as this little basket is floating. And as providence and destiny would have it, this basket lands at the feet of Pharaoh's daughter. And she picks up the basket and she draws Moses out. And that's what his name becomes, Moses, drawn out of the Nile. And she, and Miriam looks for, Miriam offers a nursemaid to Pharaoh's daughter And she says, that would be wonderful if you can find someone for me. And little does Pharaoh's daughter know, Miriam goes back and asks her mom, tells her mom the whole story, and her mom takes Moses. Such a beautiful story. We know that Moses does. There's a lot of mystery here because there's 40 years we hear later about Moses. There's a lot of mystery in his story. But what we do know is that he ends up going back to Pharaoh's house, and he knows that he's a Hebrew. He lives in the courts. He lives in privilege. He lives with the royalty, but he knows he's a Hebrew. And how we know that is found in Exodus 2.11. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his 
people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Moses sees individual injustice. He does not have to go far from the palace gates to see the injustice of what's happening to the Hebrew slaves. The empire of Egypt is being built on the backs of the Hebrews, and he sees this. He also knows the societal and systemic injustice. He also has inside information. He's raised in the courts. He sees the bias. He hears the jokes, the slander, the indifference. And injustice begins to burn, for he is Hebrew, and this is his people. And one day, on this day, all that piled up injustice comes pouring out. And we pick up in Exodus 2.12. It says, Moses, meaning Moses, he looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Moses has a burden for the slavery of his people to be abolished. But God's justice is going to lead from somewhere to somewhere. For God's heart is to bring the Israelites from bondage into freedom, from oppression to release, from hearing about God to experiencing, seeing the power of God. And God is going to use Moses to meet this burden, but like we just read, Moses took injustice into his own hands. For there is always a gap between burden felt and purpose revealed. I want to say that again. There is always a gap, a divine gap, between burden felt and purpose revealed. For God will always allow you to see something before he gives you permission to step into something. And I feel like I need to even say that one more time. And those online that are watching right in the chat caught it. Got it. Let this be caught in your spirit. For God will allow you to see something before he will give you permission to step into something. For Moses sees the injustice, but he thinks he can solve it in his own strength. God is going to teach Moses two profound lessons in this divine gap and to grow him in the area of, number one, who God is and what God cares about. And number two, God is going to show Moses who Moses is and how God desires to use him. The burden never changes for Moses. But to meet the burden, Moses must be changed and transformed. We then move on to the story. We see the moment of Moses' transformation. He encounters God Almighty. There's a bush that is on fire. And as he walks up to this bush, he realizes that the bush is not being consumed because it is filled with the glory of God. And God speaks to him from this bush and says, Moses, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And he begins to tell Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he also reveals to Moses his name, I am the great I am. 
am. And watch what God says to Moses about this burden and about the injustice. This is beautiful. We get a glimpse into God's heart. He says, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I love that. God is saying, I see, they're mine, and I hear. It goes on to say, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevitites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, speaking right to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God's justice is going to take the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land. For remember, God's plan and justice is always to bring us from somewhere to somewhere, and God is going to use Moses. Isn't it beautiful that God partners with us? He invites us into his plan. I feel like that is, that's just marvelous. It's a marvelous gift that God has given us for that intimacy and to work with our lives and to encounter him so we might walk in destiny. For Moses knows the injustice, and this burden is burning within him. But now, Moses has encountered God. Here's that divine gap. He has the burden. There's a purpose revealed, and he's encountered God. He now is re being revealed how God sees this injustice, what God cares about, and how he wants to use Moses. And he's going to use Moses. He's going to empower him. He's going to anoint him and give him the authority to walk forward to meet this burden. But you know what's interesting? We can all identify with this. I sure can. What's Moses' first response here? It's uh, Moses said to God, who am I that you should send me? He doesn't believe that God can even use him in this way. I know I've identified with that. When God's asked me to do something, I think, oh, God, I'm not ready for that, or I don't think I'm qualified for that. When God is with us, God is with us because he goes on to say to Moses, but I will be with you. And if God is with us, God is for us, who could be against us? Growing in God's purpose for your life is embracing the promise. It's a promise that in spite of who you are or who you are not, God is with you. Just say that. God is with me. God is with you. It is intentional. We have to lean in and take this step to walk in full obedience. And as we lean into trust, even when we don't feel qualified, we feel insecure or afraid, we are, as we trust God, we are placing the focus not on ourselves, but on the Almighty. For he is the one to be glorified. The focus must be on who God is and how God is with us. So he gets all the glory and honor. He works in our weaknesses and is our strength. God uses the burden of Moses' heart to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. But due to disobedience, Moses never gets to the promised land. He comes from Egypt, 
God does all these incredible exploits to deliver, and his heart is to bring Moses and the people to the promised land. But once again, Moses takes injustice into his own hands and becomes angry. And when God asks him to speak to a rock, what does he do? He strikes the rock and disobeys the Lord and fails this test. And it has a great consequence. We have tests in our lives that drive to the same core issue. Will we do what we want to do, or will we do what God is asking us to do? Will we take matters into our own hands, or will we release and surrender them to God's almighty hands? I know in my life, like Moses, I have failed. And I know in my life, like Moses, I have fallen short in these areas. And now, as we've talked about Moses, we're going to move forward to the life of Peter, And like Moses, Peter has a striking similarity of taking injustice into his own hands. We move into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is falsely accused. He's arrested and betrayed by Judas. And Peter is outraged, watching this all unfold to his Messiah, to Jesus. And what he does, it tells us in Luke, it says that Peter struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. He was inflamed with injustice. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the servant's ear and healed him. Peter, in anger, full of injustice, harms another. But Jesus operates in the opposite spirit of compassion and love. For whatever anger and outrage and pain is doing, Jesus shows us love is the better way. For Jesus, loving your enemy is not just a story. It's not just a nice Samaritan's talk that we ta- we've read the story in the Bible. It actually is about us because the Bible tells us that we are enemies of God and that God has loved us. So when God talks about loving his enemy, he's talking about loving us. Peter responds to this injustice with anger and rage and outrage. But God shows us great love through Jesus and Jesus heals the very one that Peter had harmed. Like Moses Peter now is in a divine gap. God is going to teach Peter these areas, who God is and what God cares about, and who Peter is and how God desires to use him. Before Peter's arrested, I mean, Jesus is arrested, he told Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter, as you're reading the story, he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, you can hear the the script in his mind thinking, I'm not going to stoop that low. There's no way I would deny my Messiah. He was the first one, the first disciple to announce that Jesus was the Christ of the son of the living God. The revelation had come to him. There's no way he's going to be the one to deny. He was the first one to confess. He won't be the first one to deny. That's not happening right here. That is not happening. But what happens? We move forward in the story. Peter does deny Jesus because God is showing Peter who he really is. He's broken, he's frail, and he can't do this in his own strength. But more importantly, God now is going to reveal who Jesus is and the power of what he came to do. We have talked about what Moses did when he took injustice into his own hands. We've talked about what Peter did when he took injustice into his own hands. And now we are going to see in the Garden of Gethsemane what Jesus does when he takes injustice into his own hands. Jesus is praying and being pressed like an olive 
in the garden of olive trees called Gethsemane, which means olive press. And it goes on to say here in Matthew 26, and going a little further, he fell on his face and Jesus prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The Bible says that Jesus was troubled and overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of sweating drops of blood. Jesus prayed that if it was possible, would this cup be removed? But he says, not my will, but your will, Father. I will surrender to the call and what you've asked me to do above all. And he willingly at that moment picks up the cup of suffering. About three years ago, I had an incredible honor of going to Israel. And I've heard of many people going to Israel through the years. And I thought, oh, that would just be amazing to see the Bible come to life. I'd love to go. I had no idea the transformative power that trip would have on my life. It changed my life being on that trip. There were so many moments, and I won't go into all of them, but especially there was one that stands out above them all, and that was a time I was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is a picture of us in a garden. That's Pastor Lori walking by, and a friend of ours took a shot because it was just a beautiful garden we were in. It was next to the original area where the olive trees are, and they're very, they're from the time of Jesus, so they're all fenced off. You can look at them, but you can't stay or touch those trees because they're so significant and important. But beside that area, they have a beautiful garden they've built so you can go and pray. And they've planted olive trees there and it just feels so serene and you feel right in touch with what was happening. And as we walked into that garden, it hit me like a flood that this is the area. This is the area. This is the olive trees that are outside the, the, street, the gates of Jerusalem. This is it. This is where it was in this area. You can look down and you can see Caiaphas' house. You can picture Jesus being arrested and walking down this trail to the high priest where he was accused and on to the passion story that we know that is Easter. And as I walked into that garden, and I'm not being dramatic here, the, the tears, I began to sob. For I had been raised in the church when I was a little girl and accepted Jesus in Sunday school. I can't even remember accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I was so young and loved God as a little child and followed him all these years. But at that moment, my heart began to break as the reality of the salvation that has been given to me consumed my heart with such awe and thanksgiving. I fell on my knees and rededicated my life to the Lord in that garden in Gethsemane. I picked up the ground. I remember picking up the ground and thinking, in this area, like I am so close, this ground cradled the tears of anguish of the divine. Our Savior's tears dripped into this ground and it cradled the Son of God's tears. And they were for me. And I began to weep. And far into that picture, at the very end, you see a tree at the back. I'm literally in the tree sobbing and thanking the Lord for the gift of salvation, the gift of grace, that we can become familiar with the story. But when you stand back and you feel the brokenness, when repentance comes over us, and we realize that Jesus paid the price, may that awe completely be renewed in all of our hearts.
For it was my sin, my sin, my darkness that put Jesus on the cross. It was unjust for that to fall on such divine, perfect shoulders. And Jesus willingly picked up the cup to carry all the injustice of sin that was part of years past, part of years now, and part of years to come. He picked it all up. And that divine Son of God, our divine Son of God, Jesus Christ, picked up that cup, and that cup was filled to the brim. And he drank it, and it became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's an extravagant gift, an extravagant gift. And he did this, firstly, because he was obedient to the Father. He finished the work that the Father had sent him to do. And secondly, he knew that he would have great joy on the other side of this suffering because he came to make all things new. Never again would we be separated from the Father. Never again, for this would be a finished work and he was going to pick up this cup and he was going to finish the work of the cross and resurrection. It's not just injustice out there in our world that needs radical transformation. It's the injustice here of our sin where it starts with radical transformation because Jesus came for me. He came to take my sin and all that was unjust for me to put on him, but he took it willingly. He took it willingly from you that you might have hope today. There is hope for you. The injustice of our sin against a holy God is now covered in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12 tells us, that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. And it goes on to say that he did this for the joy set before him. For even though he was under immense pressure, being pressed, and t- just this, all the suffering that was ahead, he knew he would have to endure. And the cross that was ahead and lay before him, he was resolved to finish the work of his father. And he pressed on. When we take injustice into our own hands, we cause pain and death and suffering. But when Jesus took injustice into his hands, it brought hope and healing and forgiveness and peace and eternal life and reconciliation to the Father forever. For Jesus always leads us to a place of submission. Father, not your will, but my will. He brings, Jesus became sin so that we might be righteous. Jesus will be betrayed so that we might never be forsaken. And Jesus will die so that we might be born again and truly, truly live. Revelation 5. I love this story. It's not a story. It's what's happening. John, the apostle, gets a vision of heaven. And as he's in heaven, he hears a loud angel say, who is worthy to open the scrolls? And they do a search in heaven, on earth, below the earth, and no one is found. And John begins to weep. He begins to weep because no one is found worthy to open this seal, the scroll for the seals to be released. And he begins to weep. But an elder comes over to John and puts his hand on his shoulder. And he says, John, do not weep. There is but one. There is but one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And it goes on to say, he says, look, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scrolls. There's but one. There's one that is worthy. There is one, and it's Jesus. And this Gethsemane story, when we, feel, when we really feel in our spirit of him picking up that cup of injustice for us, willingly pressing on that you might know that he has taken all things in your hands so you do not have to carry the weight. Today, what are you carrying in your own hands that you need to release to the Lord? What are you doing in your own way, in your own strength that you need a transformation in for you to be able to move forward into the destiny and the call of that God has for you because God is with you. Where are you in this divine gap? What is God asking today for you to be free? Is it an area of sin that God has put his finger on and you know what his word says, you know what God's been convicting your heart about and you're choosing to do it your own way? Is it a step of obedience that God has asked you to step into something and you're afraid and you've resisted and you're doing it your own way? Is it forgiveness? Is there a painful situation that you are holding on, a circumstance that you are trying to do in your own strength that God says, there's a better way, give it to me. Perhaps today it's salvation. Perhaps you're watching today or you're here live and you have never given your life over. You've done it in your own strength and you hold your life in your own hands. I want you to know Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and he came to die for you. And this is the story of salvation. This is the hope of the world, that he is our savior and he has come to save you. He loves you. Today is your day to release your life to the king, to Jesus and say, I will follow. My life is not mine. I give it to you. Take my life in your hands and I will follow you. Where are you in this divine gap? God wants to reveal himself to you right now in this place. As you're watching, God wants to reveal himself where you are right now. Right now. So pull from heaven. Open your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to go to those areas. To ask him to reveal anything that you're doing in your own strength. What you need to release fresh to him today. And also, may we receive fresh that gift of awe and wonder of the cross. May the story, may this not be a story, but may this be the food, our drink, our life of what Jesus did. May we not become familiar with the cross, but may there be an awe. May there not be just a familiarity that we've heard this story, but may we be caught once again and raptured with the awe, the thanksgiving, the overwhelming gratitude for what Jesus did. Because this is why we are here. This is why we have a future. Because there is one but worthy. There is one but worthy. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who has won the victory. So Father, we thank you for all that you have done. It's about you from the beginning to the end. And right now, we just want to say we love you and we need you. Without you, we are lost and broken, but with you, we are called your sons and your daughters, and we are free, and we are able to walk in the purposes and the plans you have for us, filled with hope and life, oh God.
despite our circumstances, despite what we see, we know who is with us and that is what holds us fast. That is what secures us when things are tossing to and fro. We are secured because we know that you love us enough that you sent your son. So renew in us, God, a heart of gratitude for the cross. Renew in us, God, that heart that just weeps when we think of the grace and the love. And we just want to come and say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that covers us. Thank you that we've been made right with you. And thank you for all that Jesus did and that he picked up the cup that we could never carry. And he took the price that was rightfully ours. So we worship you. We say, worthy, worthy are you, Lord God Almighty. Our hearts are in a posture of praise. We thank you, God. We thank you. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And they're going to sing some songs. And we're just going to rest in this moment. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to just go deep into our spirit. And to renew the love of the cross. And to shine light into our hearts.